0: New treatment and new research offers encouraging signs in the fight against COVID. As we learn more about the Omicron variant, the question is, could the strain already be near its peak here in the United States? Plus, a Pennsylvania congresswoman carjacked at gunpoint. Several suspects have been arrested. The question is, how's she doing this morning? And President Biden talks about whether he plans to run for re-election. The question is, What does he think about the prospect of a rematch with Donald Trump? It's way too early for that. Good morning and welcome to Way Too Early, the show that really should get started on its Christmas shopping. I'm Jonathan Lemire. On this Thursday, December 23rd, we'll start with the news. President Biden is defending his handling of the coronavirus pandemic. Here he is in a new interview with ABC News.
1: We're nearly two years into this pandemic. You're a year into the presidency. Empty shelves and no test kits in some places. Uh, Three days before Christmas when it's so important. Uh, Is that good enough? No, nothing's been good enough. But look, look where we are. When last Christmas, we're in a situation where we had significantly fewer vaccinated people vaccinated, emergency rooms were filled. You had serious backups in hospitals that were causing great difficulties. Um, We're in a situation now where we have 200 million people fully vaccinated, 200 million people fully vaccinated. And we have more than that who have had one shot, at least one shot. And they're getting these booster shots as well.
0: The president also reportedly told ABC News, quote, I wish I had thought about ordering 500 million at home tests two months ago. Here's what Commissioner FDA. Here's what former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb said about that on CNBC yesterday.
1: We should have been doing this all along. We should have been trying to get more at-home tests available and giving them away to consumers in, in drugstores, you know, allowing consumers to come into a drugstore, buy maybe four tests for $5, some some small um, price and limiting the number of sales that they can get, but making sure they got into the hands of consumers. That's what other countries are doing. They're subsidizing
0: the test. Meanwhile, new research is adding to the body of evidence that the Omicron strain of COVID-19 results in milder illness than previous strains. The research from Scotland, England and South Africa is still preliminary, but it shows that milder cases may be due to immunity in the population studied, either from previous infections or vaccinations. The studies also found that Omicron is sending fewer people to hospitals. Good news. For example, the study in Scotland found that if Omicron Omicron behaved like the Delta variant, researchers would have expected 47 people to have been admitted to the hospital. But so far, only 15 have gone. Meanwhile, officials in South Africa say cases of the variant appear to be waning and could signal it's past its peak. Cases skyrocketed a week ago, but have since dropped off sharply. South Africa's top scientist says he expects other countries to follow that same trajectory. In a very early look for the 2024 race for the White House, President Joe Biden says he intends to run for re-election. In that interview with ABC, Biden said he would run again if he's in good health. He also suggested the prospect of a rematch with Donald Trump would only further encourage him to seek another term. Meanwhile, former President Trump has repeatedly hinted at another possible White House campaign, but he has yet to announce his plans. Meanwhile, Texas Senator Ted Cruz, the GOP runner-up in 2016, he seems to be eyeing the Republican nomination as well.
1: Well, There's a reason historically that
0: the runner-up is almost always the next nominee, Mm -hmm. and and that's been true going back to Nixon or Reagan or or McCain or Romney that that has played out repeatedly. Uh, You come in with just an enormous base of support. While Cruz may be correct about the historical precedent within the GOP, one factor not taken into account is when an unseated former president chooses to run again. You may remember that Cruz and Trump had a deeply contentious campaign battle in 2016, where the former president insulted the looks of Cruz's wife and suggested his father was involved in the Kennedy assassination. Before transforming to become one of Trump's most loyal supporters, Trump can't call then Cruz called then candidate Trump a coward and pathological liar, among other lovely things. Ahead of next year's midterms, new polling shows momentum for Republicans in two key Senate races. According to numbers distributed by the National Republican Senatorial Committee and obtained by NBC News this week, Democrats are at risk of losing seats in Nevada and Georgia. In Nevada, polling shows Republican Adam Laxalt, the state's former attorney general, leading Democratic Senator Catherine Cortez Masto by four points. And things are even closer in Georgia, where Republican candidate and former football star Herschel Walker reportedly leads Senator Raphael Warnock by one point. Both Laxalt and Walker have been endorsed by Donald Trump in states won by Joe Biden in last year's presidential election. Of course, these are small margins, early polls, and... Let's remember who's conducting the polling. Joining us now, senior politics reporter at Insider, Grace Panetta. Grace, good morning. Great to see you. Uh, let's, there's been so much talk about the House and political analysts across the country, uh, suggest that Republicans have a very, very good chance of regaining the majority thanks to, uh, historical trends. Uh, Democrats, of course, say, hey, too early to say that for sure. There's been less talk about the Senate. It's a harder one to picture. Uh, talk to us about these two races, though, and how, beyond this poll, what each party is thinking about
2: them. Absolutely. So Nevada, I think, is a very, very fascinating case study because you think of it as a blue state now, but it was very close, both in 2016 and in 2020, Uh, Trump won or um, Hillary Clinton and Biden won by pretty slim margins. And I think what's so interesting about this candidate, Adam in the newspaper to win the nomination, is he's united both the Trump and the McConnell wings of the party he's held elected office before. And so I think it could be much tighter than a lot of people are thinking of it as right now. And then Georgia is another fascinating case where Democrats have just done really, really well in winning the presidency, flipping those two Senate seats. But again, it was super close elections. That poll, the um, poll obtained by NBC is within the margin of error, uh, Herschel Walker's lead. And so I think parties are just going to really be trying to maximize, turn out their bases, because that's the key in midterms. The default in midterms is for people not to vote. So it's about trying to maximize your base as much as possible.
0: Good points there about just how close Georgia was. In fact, there's a school of thought that if then-President Trump had spent more time campaigning there as opposed to complaining about his own defeat, uh, they could have won. It was those defeats that handed the Democrats the majority. Also, Herschel Walker, though a household name, has not really been vetted yet. But if that's enough for the 2022 talk... Let's move to 2024. Uh, that's Joe Biden. He, he's talking about his reelection bid. There's, it's, it's extremely early chatter uh, this year for this. And it's part because of Biden's age. And we certainly hear stuff about the vice president or Pete Buttigieg or any number of Democrats who might step up uh, if Biden doesn't run. What's the latest in terms of the Beltway chatter uh, in terms of whether Biden will indeed run? Of course, he's got to say he's going to run because he doesn't want to be a lame duck already. What's your sense of it? What's the party think? Is he going to run? And what happens if Trump does, too?
2: Yeah, I think it, it's not surprising at all that Biden wants to run for a second term, because remember, he first ran for president in 1988. It was an office that he'd been seeking for over 30 years before he finally uh, attained it in 2020. And so really something he sought his whole life. So it's not surprising at all that he genuinely would want a second term. I believe him when he says that. But he also, I think, made a good point on that ABC interview. He said, I'm a great respecter of fate. Fate has intervened many times in my life, and I'm going to respect fate, which I thought was also a really fascinating insight into understanding President Biden, and how he views the world, and how he views himself. Um, and I actually, I absolutely think that you know, if he was, if he does have some private doubts about a second term, Trump getting in the race and you know, becoming the nominee would absolutely seal the deal. Because remember, Biden really got back in and ran in 2020. You know, he said to restore the soul of the nation after Trump. So that would just be a very natural continuation of why he ran for president in 2020 and why he got back in the, in the political arena.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Biden had told people that he thought he was done when he passed on a 2016 run. But once he saw the Trump presidency unfold, he felt like it was his duty to do so again. And a close advisor told me as well that no decision has been made. He certainly plans to run. But if Trump does, you can all bet on it, assuming his health holds up. Insiders, Grace Pinette, thank you so much. Have a wonderful Christmas and weekend. Just two days before that holiday, roads and runways across the country are packed. Despite Omicron fears, Americans are traveling at record levels. NBC News correspondent Tom Costello has a behind-the-scenes look at what it takes just to keep a single plane on time.
1: For the airlines, it all comes down to the final Christmas push. Every single hour, more than 100,000 travelers are passing through airports nationwide. Coming off the runway in Washington, flight 2565 from Dallas. Chalks under the wheels, and the countdown begins. They've got just 45 minutes to turn this plane around for its next flight to Orlando. Two minutes after arrival, the cabin door opens. Morning. At three minutes, the cargo door pops. A minute later, the first bags are on the belt, just as 180 passengers start stepping into the jet bridge. Time is money. Being on time, a top priority. Our number one job is to turn an airplane. And so speed is of the essence. It's so important. Uh, Everything we do is time. The job here, sort the bags, priority bags, connecting bags. And then those that are staying here, get them to the carousel within 20 minutes. On board, the final passengers step off and the ground crew steps on. Caterers and cleaning staff moving fast. While underneath, the fuel truck is hooking up. In the cockpit, the arriving pilots are rotating out.
0: I'd say 75% of the time we're changing aircraft.
1: American turns eight flights a day at each gate here at Reagan National more than any other airport.
3: Group one and active duty U.S. military personnel welcome aboard.
1: 20 minutes after arrival, the next flight's passengers are already boarding as the next first officer does his inspection walk around.
0: What I'm here is sort of that last that last check to make sure that everything is the way it should be.
1: Ten minutes before departure, the cabin door closes again.
0: Blue skies helping the flight to Orlando to leave on time. Our thanks to NBC's Tom Stella for that fasting report. All those traveling this weekend, good luck and be safe. Still ahead, the strict new vaccine requirements that will go soon go into effect in Washington, D.C. Plus, the number three Democrat in the House, Congressman Jim Clyburn, is now the latest lawmaker to test positive for a breakthrough COVID infection, what he's saying about his diagnosis, and five people arrested after a Pennsylvania congresswoman was carjacked in broad daylight. Those stories and a check on the weather when we come right back.
4: Former President Donald Trump is facing 91 indictment charges, yet he remains the Republican frontrunner. On MSNBC's podcast, Prosecuting Donald Trump, veteran prosecutors Andrew Weissman and Mary McCord break down the biggest legal developments and how they could alter the election.
1: Never had a president who engaged in this kind of conduct who's running for office.
5: He is using the criminal cases for his own campaigning.
4: Search for Prosecuting Donald Trump wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Tuesday. What if millions of black Americans had been compensated for slavery? Join me, Tremangly, as I explore the untold story of one of the only black Americans who ever was. I talk to his descendants and discuss how reparations forever change their family's trajectory and imagine a reality where reparations are paid to the rest of black America. Into America presents Uncounted Millions, The Power of Reparations, a Black History Month series. All episodes available now.
0: Five people have been taken into custody after Congresswoman Mary Gay Scanlon was carjacked at gunpoint in Philadelphia, police said. A spokeswoman for the congresswoman said the incident occurred yesterday, just before 3 p.m. at FDR Park in South Philadelphia. According to investigators, two armed men approached Scanlon and demanded the keys to her car. They say one of the men drove off of the car and the other followed behind in a separate vehicle. Scanlon's car was later found at a shopping center in Delaware with five people in it, according to the Delaware State Police. All five taken into custody. Police said several of Scanlon's work and personal items were stolen. The congresswoman, thankfully, was not harmed during the incident. House Majority Whip Jim Clyburn says he has tested positive for COVID-19. In a tweet yesterday, Clyburn wrote he is asymptomatic. The South Carolina Democrat also noted he is fully vaccinated and had a booster shot in September. Clyburn was with President Biden last Friday when Biden addressed graduates at Clyburn's alma mater, South Carolina State University. The congressman said he tested negative a day ahead of Biden's visit. He took another test on Monday, which came back positive two days later. He said he now has to miss his granddaughter's wedding because of his infection. Biden, meanwhile, tested negative for covid twice this week after he came into contact with a White House staff member last week who then later tested positive. Washington, D.C. is ramping up COVID-19 restrictions in an effort to control the record-setting daily number of coronavirus cases there. Mayor Muriel Bowser announced yesterday that starting mid-January, people 12 and older will be required to show proof of vaccination to enter indoor venues such as restaurants, bars and gyms. The announcement comes two days after Mayor Bowser reinstated the city's mask mandate, as data shows that D.C.'s new daily case rate is among the highest in the country right now. The mayor joins the conversation coming up on Morning Joe. Still ahead, the latest on how this latest COVID outbreak is impacting the sports world. Plus, the Supreme Court schedules a special hearing to take up challenges to the president's vaccine mandates. We're back in just a minute.
4: Join MSNBC's Simone Sanders Townsend, Michael Steele, and Alicia Menendez as they team up to host The weekend.
6: We want to get the newsmakers, the people that are in the middle of what is happening.
4: It's about the conversation. A lot of Americans check out of conversations. We want to check them in.
6: Conversation we begin and that you continue all
4: week long. The weekend, Saturdays and Sundays at 8 a.m. Eastern on MSNBC.
0: As sadly expected, the NHL players will not participate in the upcoming Winter Olympics in Beijing. Commissioner Gary Bettman made that announcement official yesterday amid the rash of infections among players that has led to the postponement of 50 games and a pause to the season. The league will use the previously scheduled Olympic break in February to make up those games missed. And without NHL players in Beijing, most sports observers believe that leaves Russia as the favorites to win gold. The NFL, meanwhile, appears on track to play Week 16 as scheduled after a surge in cases pushed back three games last week. And for the first time since the start of the pandemic, the AP reports the league actually discussed canceling those games. But that was met with opposition from the Players Union. The Cleveland Browns suffered the worst outbreak, which led to 22 players, including starting quarterback Baker Mayfield, missing Monday's loss to the Raiders. While Mayfield's status for this Saturday's matchup against the Packers is still up in the air, head coach Kevin Stefanik cleared virus protocols and will be back on the sidelines. But while the Browns get their head coach back, the Jets and Eagles have lost theirs. New York's Robert Sala and Philadelphia's Nick Sirianni both testing positive yesterday. Also, there may not be a full slate of college football bowl games this season. Texas A&M announced yesterday it's unable to play in its New Year's Eve Gator Bowl contest against Wake Forest because of COVID cases. But sources tell the AP that members of the NCAA Football Oversight Committee will meet this morning to discuss allowing another team to potentially take the Aggies' place. Meanwhile, an updated set of policies outlined for the college football playoff means the national championship could be decided by a forfeit. The CFP announced yesterday that if a team is unable to play in a semifinal because of COVID cases, that game will be forfeited. If two teams from the same semifinal can't play, the winner of the other semifinal will be declared champion. No championship game. If three teams can't play, the team that's available to play on New Year's Eve is simply crowned champion. Let's hope that does not happen. The CFB also said the title game could be moved from January 10th to as late as January 14th, if needed. In the NBA, nearly 100 players are in the virus protocols ahead of the league's five-game Christmas showcase. That includes Dallas star Luka Doncic, who was due to return from an injury tonight and now might not be able to play in the Mavericks matchup with the Utah Jazz on Saturday. The COVID concerns have pushed the league to postpone two more games. Last night's between the Raptors and Bulls, as well as tonight's game in Portland between the Trailblazers and the Brooklyn Nets, because the teams did not have enough eligible players. This marks the third straight game called off for Brooklyn. The league has loosened its rules and in some cases is requiring teams to sign replacement players because of the spike in cases. And with seven Boston Celtics in COVID protocols, the team turned to a player who started his career there 20 years ago. The Celtics signed the now 40-year-old Joe Johnson to a 10-day contract yesterday. Iso Joe, a seven-time All-Star who was drafted 10th overall by the Celtics in 2001, returned to the court in Boston last night, bringing him back to the NBA after he was cut at the end of training camp by the Detroit Pistons back in 2019. He received a warm welcome from the crowd at the TD Garden before entering last night's game at the end of the fourth quarter, scoring one basket right there before the Celtics wrapped up the 111-101 win over the Cleveland Cavaliers. I will just note that was a sports segment with exactly one sports highlight because of the damage that the COVID pandemic has wrought upon the sports world. Let's go to the weather now. And meteorologist Janessa Webb, Janessa, Webb, Janessa tell us how it looks here for the holiday travel.
5: You know, Jonathan, I wish I could bring better news. If you're on the East Coast, you're going to have a great, wonderful day and Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, looking pretty clear, a little bit of cloud coverage and chilly conditions. It's really the West Coast uh, from L.A. all the way into Washington State. We're going to be watching a series of storm system that will provide rain and snow across this area. And that's why we see winter weather alerts expanding across the Rockies all the way into Northern California. Look at some of these rain rain totals, people hitting the highways, the major interstates today, we're talking three to five inches. So we're going to be watching burn scar areas and for hydroplaning. So take your time across uh, all of California uh, this afternoon into tomorrow. The snow totals, we've already dealt with uh, two series of storms uh, this fall into the winter months. And now we're talking an additional 24 to 36 inches. So some hubs today, Jonathan, if they're leaving out of Los Angeles, to Las Vegas, Phoenix, expect some major to minor delays.
0: Janessa Webb, we appreciate you keeping an eye on the travel forecast and the weather as we head into Christmas weekend. Still ahead, the committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol now wants an interview with one of the former president's closest allies, Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio. Is there any chance he'll cooperate? Mm. But before we go to break, we want to ask this question. Why are you awake? Email your reasons to WayTooEarly at MSNBC.com or tweet me at John Lemire. Be sure to use the hashtag WayTooEarly. We'll read some of our favorite answers a little later in the show. Welcome back to Way Too Early. It's 5.30 on the East Coast, 2.30 out West. I'm Jonathan Lemire. The Supreme Court has scheduled a special session for two cases challenging the Biden administration's COVID-19 vaccine mandates. The court announced it will hear both the cases on January 7th. One involves the rule that requires employers with 100 or more workers to have their staff vaccinated or tested on a regular basis. The other requires vaccines for healthcare workers that receive Medicaid and Medicare funding. A White House statement reads in part this. We are confident in the legal authority for both policies and the Department of Justice will vigorously defend both at the Supreme Court. Both policies have been at least partially blocked from going into effect by lower courts after challenges from Republican-led states and businesses. Joining us now, White House reporter for The Washington Post, Tyler Pager, who has some very impressive artwork behind him today. Good morning, Tyler. Glad to see you. Uh, So let's talk about this. The Biden administration, of course, has viewed the vaccine mandates now for some time as a key weapon in their arsenal to try to get this pandemic under control. We hear a lot about boosters um, now with a new variant, uh, but they do want employees, uh, employers to get their employees vaccinated. You cover this very closely. How's the administration viewing this? And what's your sense with a conservative majority on the bench? Is it likely that these mandates will get struck down?
7: Yeah, so this is central to the administration's fight against the pandemic and even more important as we see the Omicron variant ravage the country and cases skyrocket. Um, And so as we saw in the statement from White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, they remain confident that uh, they are within their power to uh, institute these mandates uh, either for the healthcare workers or the mandate or test um, for for employers uh, with more than 100 employees. But I think there's reason to be skeptical that the Supreme Court is going to um, allow these to go through. Um, The the Supreme Court has allowed um, states to institute their own mandate, but this is from uh, coming from the federal government. And there's reason to believe, as you said, with a conservative majority, that they are not going to uh, let the federal government institute these broad mandates. We saw them strike down the eviction moratorium. And there are some analysts that think this is going to fall in line with, with the justices thinking on that that Congress has not necessarily authorized the federal government to institute these
0: broad mandates. So the January 6th Select Committee seems to be entering sort of an aggressive new phase, much more concerned about public relations, putting out big headlines, uh, but also has turned inward and gone after members of House Representative itself. Jim Jordan uh, being the most recent, uh, certainly Jordan, uh, about as close of an ally as they come to Donald Trump. And we've all seen the clip of him stammering through a question as to whether or not uh, he spoke to the former president on January 6th itself. How do you see this playing out, Tyler, if Jordan refuses to cooperate Could Congress hold um, its own member in contempt?
7: It's possible. I I think we are seeing a pattern, uh, as you mentioned, where the committee is really getting aggressive in its phase of questioning those who had contact with the president and his aides on the day of January 6th. And Jim Jordan is the latest member of Congress to be called in front of the committee. We saw uh, Scott Perry say that he's not going to cooperate. Jim Jordan said on Fox News that he is taking a look at the letter but has concerns about the committee. Uh, And I think most people expect him to follow the, the talking points of his fellow members of Congress and say, this committee is illegitimate, we are not going to participate in in this process. And so I think this is, again, another example of the committee ratcheting up its work and and trying to get to the bottom of what happened on January 6th, but but getting stonewalled by Trump, by his allies, and by their fellow colleagues in Congress who are actively involved in planning and communicating with Trump and his aides on that day, but have no interest uh, in wanting to help the committee understand what happened.
0: A true friend of the show, The Washington Post, Tyler Pager. We really appreciate you being here. Have a great holiday weekend. Still ahead, signs the administration has delivered on promises to address the lagging supply chain. The business news you need to start your day when Way Too Early comes right back as we take a look at pre-dawn Times Square. No traffic at all. Sorry, Joe Mika.
1: Earlier this fall, We heard a lot of dire warnings about supply chain problems leading to a crisis around the holidays. The much predicted uh, crisis didn't occur. Packages are moving. Gifts are being delivered. Shelves are not empty.
0: Despite fears of a supply chain crisis leading to late gift deliveries, new data shows the majority of Americans will have their presence under the Christmas tree this weekend. Yay. According to shipping data company ShipMatrix, UPS and the Postal Service delivered close to 99 percent of packages on time in the period between November 14th and December 11th. FedEx wasn't far behind, reportedly delivering 97 percent of packages on time during that same time frame. This comes after the White House formed a task force earlier this year to address bottlenecks at some of the country's major ports. And the president and White House aides took a well-deserved victory lap yesterday about this. They were all over Twitter. This was a crisis and a political problem they headed off, and it looks like everyone will have those presents under the tree. Time now for more on the business. And there she is. Let's bring in CNBC's Juliana Tadelbaum, who joins us live from London. Juliana, good morning. Investors are shrugging off, at least for now, Omicron fears, pushing all three major indexes to finish at a session high for a second straight day on Wall Street. This year, of course, has been filled with volatility. Do you think this is a sign of more stability going forward?
3: Well, investors certainly seem to be breathing a sigh of relief this week. The S&P 500, the Dow Jones, the Nasdaq all logging back-to-back gains. The S&P 500 now within 1% of its all-time high. Now, it has been a volatile year, as you say, but I think um, it's worth putting these moves into perspective. For the year, all sectors in the U.S. um, are positive, led by energy, which is up 46%. Those energy stocks up nearly 50% on the The year. The laggard has been the utility sector, but even then that basket of stocks is up about 11 percent. So it has been an incredibly strong year, even though the last weeks have been marked by significant volatility. Now bringing it back to the recent trading session, Asian stocks traded higher overnight and now European stocks are trading higher this morning following those strong gains on Wall Street yesterday.
0: So this is something worth watching, especially with the Winter Olympics just a couple months away. A major city in central China that's seen a flare up of COVID-19 cases is now under lockdown, their biggest lockdown since the original one in Wuhan at the start of the pandemic. Mainland China has actually only reported a handful of Omicron cases so far. But Chinese authorities have instituted a zero tolerance policy uh, about the virus. What's the sense? Are they going to extend this lockdown to other cities over there?
3: Well, it's a, it's a great question. And China's policy when it comes to controlling COVID-19 is very different to what we see in the West. And in the latest outbreak, it, just over 200 cases have been reported in the last week around the city of Xi'an, which is a, a city that boasts around 13 million residents. And still, the country moved to lock down that city. So they put curbs on outbound travel and um, commuting within the city. So a major restrictions being imposed there. And I think there's a big question mark to what extent China will be able to maintain its zero tolerance policy with the Omicron variant, which we know spreads so rapidly. Um, worth noting that in Xi'an, no Omicron cases have been reported. So it's earlier strains so far in that city.
0: Beyond delivering us the business news, you're way too Early's London correspondent and some good news coming out of the United Kingdom right now, uh, where a new study suggests that the Omicron variant is maybe less severe than Delta. Tell us more about that.
3: Well, that seems to be a big part of what's driven markets higher in the last 24 hours. New studies have emerged here in the UK and also in South Africa, suggesting that the Omicron variant may be, in fact, causing more mild disease. Estimates range from about a 30 percent to a 70 percent reduction in hospitalization compared to earlier variants. Of course, it is still early stage. But this is the first real world data that lends some credence to this notion that the variant could cause less severe disease. But still, even if that is the case, the sheer number of people being infected with the variant means that uh, the number of hospitalizations will swell. And just to put some context there, the UK recorded more than 100,000 new daily COVID infections yesterday. That's a record single day since the pandemic began. Meanwhile, over in Spain, we are seeing more restrictions imposed, um, face masks now being required in public spaces outside. So we are seeing more and more measures come into effect to control the spread uh, in the UK and across Europe.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. Though the severity of the illness seems less, at least among the vaccinated, the sheer volume of cases is still going to be a problem. And we're going to have a doctor on in just a few minutes to talk more about this. CNBC's Julianne Tatelbaum have a great holiday weekend. She was joined us live from London, thanks to her. Still ahead, the FDA clears Pfizer's COVID pill for emergency use. Will it be a game changer for America's pandemic battle? And as we go to break, Look at this date in history. 93 years ago, a little something called the National Broadcasting Company set up a permanent coast-to-coast network paving the way for the golden age of radio. Now to a potentially major milestone in the fight against COVID-19. The FDA has granted emergency use authorization to Pfizer's COVID treatment pill. It's the first oral antiviral drug to be cleared during the pandemic. The drug will be prescribed for use in adults and children ages 12 and up with mild to moderate symptoms who are at risk for severe disease or hospitalization. The agency said it should be prescribed as soon as possible after diagnosis, ideally within five days of the first symptoms. Joining us now, founder and CEO of Advancing Health Equity, Dr. Uche Blackstock. She's an MSNBC medical contributor. We are always glad when she joins us. We really appreciate it. So let's start right there. How significant is the approval of this pill in the fight against COVID?
6: Good morning, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. I would say Paxlovid is definitely a game changer. Obviously, the ability to take the pill by mouth um, is huge. It would be the first medication to treat COVID, that you can take orally, um, but we have a few barriers to get through. One, it takes about six months to manufacture this pill, so initially we're going to have a limited supply, so only about tens of thousands of doses initially. At the end of this year, going to hundreds of thousands of doses starting in twenty twenty two. So that was important to keep in mind. However, you know, it decreases hospitalization and death by about ninety percent. Um, it's performed much better than the Merck tablet, that it's very similar. Some of the challenges will be that people need to get tested first. And we already see that there are some major problems with getting tested here in the US, um, as well as they need to get a prescription from a healthcare provider. So they're gonna to need to have access. So those are just some things that we have to think about right. uh, once this uh, total gets authorized.
0: So, Dr. Dr. Blackstock, hoping you could weigh in on the conversation I we was just having with Juliana a minute ago. Is there enough data yet to suggest that this new variant is producing milder illness than, say, Delta and its predecessors?
6: So I would definitely say the data looks promising. It's still preliminary. We have data now out of UK, South Africa and Denmark showing a range of between 40 and about 65% decrease in hospitalization with Omicron variant compared to the Delta variant. So there could be several different factors that account for that. In South Africa, there is a high degree of acquired immunity because about 70% of the population has been infected previously. So that would produce a milder course. Um, in the UK and Denmark, they have high rates of vaccination. So that could also produce a milder course. We would have to see how you know Omicron behaves here in the U.S., So far, we've had a bump in hospitalization, but not to the same degree as in cases. So we're seeing what we call a decoupling of cases and hospitalizations, which is promising.
0: So perhaps milder, Omicron certainly very transmissible and a, a still a real concern. We right. don't want to we don't want to say otherwise. A real concern here in the United Absolutely. States. Absolutely. The the president outlined his new plan to tackle the variant, and I pressed White House press secretary Jen Psaki on this show yesterday as to why a to, for domestic travel why vaccination is not being required. Do you think that's should be part of the Biden plan? And how would you evaluate their overall strategy to face Omicron?
6: Yeah, Jonathan, I would say I was disappointed that I didn't hear about a a travel vaccine mandate in Biden's strategy for beating Omicron. That was very surprising to me. I think that would cause a definite increase in vaccination rates. Um, As as, it relates to the entire strategy, I think it was a first step, but I think it's inadequate. I mean, 500 million rapid tests will be done within about a month. Um, You know, each person has to take about one or two rapid tests. Um, for it to be accurate. And so uh, we have 330 million Americans, I would have seen um, some would have liked to have seen some federal guidance as it relates to mask policies, I would like to actually have also seen us try to get all Americans high quality, n um, 95 mass as well, especially since we know that Omicron is much more contagious. Um, and finally, I'd like to see more federal guidance around ventilation and, and air filtration in schools and businesses, since we know, you know that a coronavirus is airborne, Omicron is incredibly transmissible, and that's an area that has been highly neglected.
0: Dr. Uche Blackstock, we appreciate all those thoughts. We know White House officials are watching. Perhaps they are taking notes as well. Have a great holiday Thank weekend. You. Earlier in the show, we asked this question. Why are you awake? One viewer writes, I am still up from Wednesday. Doing last minute prepping the house, wrapping gifts, baking treats for kids and granddads. That's wonderful. Uh, grandkids, maybe granddads too. Lots of holiday prep right now. We're just a couple days out. There's also Remica writes in saying she just returned home to Georgia from the beautiful sunshine in Aruba. Lots of pets wearing Santa hats too. Dan, what do you got back there?
7: Well, Steve is uploading the car for a seven-hour ride, collecting the real news he'll need to hang in there with
0: the in-laws. Look, fighting the fake news is, does not take holidays off. You need to have the real thing as you gather around with your relatives for Christmas. We're glad you're finding it here on Way Too Early. Maggie tells us she's heading up to Green Bay for the Christmas Day Packers game. I hope the weather's not like 10 below. Uh, go Packers, I suppose. And Andrew writes this. My son Alex got his first career job. Wait for it. News producer for a 5 a.m. local broadcast with a network affiliate. Hashtag proud dad. Congrats on the job. But my one concern is this. If you're going to be watching or working on a 5 a.m. local show, will you not be watching way too early? I guess that's why DVRs were invented. But congratulations. Welcome to the business. Set your alarm. Get two alarms. Up next, despite some challenging poll numbers and the recent roadblock on Build Back Better, the argument that President Biden is still winning and coming up on Morning Joe, former White House senior advisor on coronavirus response Andy Slavitt will join the conversation. Plus, as mentioned, we'll hear from Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser on the heels of a new vaccine mandate in the district. Morning Joe is just a few moments away. Hey, it's Chris Hayes. This week on my podcast, Why Is This Happening, evangelical pastor and director of Vote Common Good, Doug Paget on the rise of Christian nationalism and what's at stake in this year's election.
4: We lack a story in this country about what our politics are supposed to achieve. And when we suggest to them that the common good can be your voting identity, rather than being Republican or being a Democrat or being fiscally this or that, big government or small government, but you care about the common good, people are like, oh yeah, that that I actually care about. That's
0: this week on Why Is This Happening. Search for Why Is This Happening wherever you're listening right now and subscribe.